Hey, welcome to another episode of Write You a Song. I'm Tom Maley, and if this is your first listen, every month, Write You a Song features long-form interviews with the biggest names in country music songwriting. When you have time, go back through the previous 12 months and hear from great writers like Jeffrey Steele, Kelly Loveless, Brett James. We also feature singer-songwriters like Ashley McBride, Chris Jansen, and this month's guest, Brandy Clark. Now, Brandy is from the same part of the country I'm from, the Pacific Northwest. In fact, we attended not only the same university, but the same community college, although I was a few years ahead of her. Still, I've always felt a connection to her songwriting, in part, I think, because the places and people she writes about could very well be places and people I knew growing up among the damp evergreens of western Washington, just like she did. But while Brandy's songwriting is definitely influenced by that tough little logging town she's from... I'd bet anybody from a small town can relate to the lives of the characters she writes and sings about, like the bored housewife in Get High from her critically acclaimed first album, 12 Stories. You know, life will let you down. For the title track from her equally acclaimed second album, 2016's Big Day in a Small Town. Somebody shot a deer. Somebody's getting married. Buried or carried away. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. Ah, it's a big day in a small town. She's a writer's writer. Honest, fearless, not afraid to go there, wherever there is, if it means artistic honesty. And she's a hell of a singer, too. Brandy Clark, welcome to Write You a Song. You know how to start an interview off. That makes me feel really good. I appreciate you having me on. Not trying to suck up. You really are a, a brilliant songwriter and, and a beautiful singer. And, and we'll delve into all of that as uh, the next half hour or so goes by. But I want to start with your early years. Your first time ever leaving town was to go away to to college to coincidentally the, the school that i graduated from central washington university which was over in eastern washington which those who are familiar with the northwest would know eastern washington is a lot different than western washington and for you coming from a small town like morton which is like less than a thousand people yeah right around there what was it what was it like for you that's a real formative time in a young person's life and you went there on a basketball scholarship but how did that kind of did it rock your world it did i mean when i look back on it i was really ill prepared to leave home i was such a you know mama and daddy's girl when i really think about it i i didn't have i i really got along with my parents i loved doing things with them um i loved morton so i i was really not prepared to leave. Um, I mean, it's two completely different places. You know, Western Washington is rainy and green and Eastern Washington is dry and, and not green. So that was different for me. I, I got very homesick very quickly. And when I look back on it, so much of it was because it was so different from where I grew up. Um, I was afraid I would get the same kind of homesick when I moved to Nashville a couple years later and I did get homesick, but nothing like that. And I, and I think it's because I need the green around me and Nashville had that same, we were talking before the, before you started that it, there's, there's some similarities between Nashville and Western Washington. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was playing basketball, I was on a scholarship and it was very different than, 
when I was in high school. And by that point, I was a little bit burnt out and the music bug had bit me. And, um, you know, I ended up leaving because I, I quit the basketball team, which is the only thing I've ever quit and had kind of a rift with my coaches and which is not like me. But when I look back on it, it really was being homesick. There was nothing going on that was insurmountable. It was just, I was homesick. And I think I was a little lost. Like I didn't really have goals beyond high school and it was at the end of high. I mean, I wanted to go to college. I knew that. And I had seen Silence of the Lambs, and so I thought I wanted to be an, an FBI agent. I was really <laughs> wrong about that. Okay. Um, but the truth was the music bug had bit me, and so I moved home, and I um, went to Centralia Community College. I could drive there from Morton. It was about 35 miles each way. And oh, my God. Got a I, job that, and, that's where I went my first year in college. <laughs> oh, wow. We have a lot there. I loved Centralia College, and I really um, – got more into music there. I, I I started, you know, I got in the choir and Donna Huffman was the head of the music department. I don't know if she still is, but she was. And, and, and she encouraged me to move to Nashville. I remember that. But I, you know, I started, like I formed a band with my mom and another, and a couple other friends and music just sort of overtook me. And, and there was a, I had the opportunity to play basketball, but I realized my heart wasn't really in it. And I remember feeling like, you know, if I play, I'm going to take a, a spot from somebody who really wants this. Hmm. And I'm probably not even going to be very good because my heart's just not in it. And and I left. And on the way home, I went and bought a guitar and an amp and wow. really never looked back from there. I know it was crazy. It was like I traded one dream for another. Just, you know, I mean, it was amping up into that, but but I really... That was kind of when I never looked back from there. Was it the next year that uh, you packed up and headed off to Belmont? It wasn't. So I so I went to I, I went to Centralia right away, and then the year so my second year there, I really started to get serious about music, even in a deeper way, and and then I kind of knew I was going to move, and so I decided that I would work and and save some money to move, and so I ended up. Actually, I was three years into college when I went to Belmont. Now, my last year at Centralia, I was working more than I was going to school. And so I was just, I was, I think I just took music classes my last year mm-hmm. to get ready to move to Nashville. And um, then I transferred to Belmont and, and finished there. It took me three years there because, you know, I was going from a public school to a private school. And there were times where I thought, is this really worth it? But now I, I see the value in it. When, how long had you been in Nashville when you first realized that, hey, I could maybe really actually make a career out of this? You know, I never didn't think that. Um, Yeah. I mean, there would be times when I would get down, but I always thought that, you know, and, and I really, honestly, the times when I doubted myself the most were right before the big things happened. I mean, I knew when I moved here and I, one of the first things I did was I went to an NSAI meeting where songwriters play songs for publishers and you get critiqued. And I knew I I figured out in the first week I lived here that my songs were pretty infantile. And so I knew I had a long ways to go. And I, I don't remember being super frustrated by that. I just remember I'm good in the getting better, you know, like, okay, the bar is up here. I'm down here. How do I get, how do I get there? Mm-hmm. So I just worked really hard on my craft. When I started to get frustrated was when I knew my songs were 
great. You know, not all of them. They're never all great. But I knew, man, these songs are great, and I think they're better than the songs that this artist just cut on this record. And that's when I would start to get, that's when I was like, man, am I doing the right thing, you know? And I still struggle with that at times because when you know something's good, when when I know when I know I've been beat out by something better, that's okay. But but when I really feel like, man, this is this is great. Why you know, one example like Hold My Hand is a really great example. I I knew that song was great. It frustrated me that Leanne Womack didn't cut it. You know? I, I and she and I say her because she had held it and was gonna cut it. And I remember thinking, if I can't get that song cut, what's wrong? And uh, things started to make sense to me, like when I made my first, when I had the opportunity to make a record, I was like, oh, well, maybe that's why these things didn't work out. You know, maybe I was always meant to be the voice that sang that. Raven is the curly hair, red is the dress, she knows how to wear bluest eyes I've ever seen. Maybe just a touch of green Oh, she could steal most any woman's man This would be a real good time To hold my hand She walked up and said hello It's been a while Don't think I didn't know Nervous in your smile Wasn't that long ago You were a whole lot more than friends So this would be a real good time To hold my hand Early on, I didn't feel a ton of frustration I was so enamored with the music business and I loved being around so many, like just the best songwriters in the world, in my opinion. And I always felt like I had a ways to go. Back to where you're from, I just want to touch on one more thing before we continue on. And that is because you, your songwriting, um, I, I saw it described as her songs are the seedy underbelly of country folk, <laughs> which mm-hmm. might be a little extreme. But at the same time, your writing is more sort of raw, frank, authentic than most writing out there. How much of that comes from where you're from? How much of of Morton, Washington and that small town that you grew up in and the people that you grew up with, how much did that accompany you to Nashville and how much of that informed at least your early songs and, and maybe still to this day? I think a lot of it. You know, I just think that I've always been a little, I've always been drawn to the truth and maybe a darker truth even. And I, and I know that goes back to being a kid and where I grew up. And, and I feel like, you know, sometimes I get a little bit worn out on the whole, I'm from a small town thing Mm -hmm. that certain artists try to play on because I think, no, you're not. You're from the exit. That's 30 miles from the small town. Like, and I, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to get into that my town's smaller than your town sort of mentality, but I really did come from a small town. And an isolated and small lot, town, too. Morton's pretty isolated. 
It is. And and there are a lot of amazing things about a small town, but just like anywhere, there are things that aren't amazing. And so I feel like I can really speak to that part of the human condition because of where I'm from. And because my mom, who's a huge influence on on my life overall, but she's the first person that I ever learned music from. And the things that my mom liked, like the movies she watched and the music she listened to was all pretty real. Mm-hmm. And look, I grew up, I felt like I had a pretty idyllic childhood in that, you know, my my parents were great parents and, you know, I lived next door to my grandparents and went to school and was, you know, pretty well liked and but there are things about growing up in a logging community, which I grew that are tough, grew up in that are tough. I mean, I was around tough people and my family is tough, you know, like they're, they're, they're like hardy people. And, and, you know, I, I went to school with, I lost my dad in the logging accident. I was older, but you know, I went to school with people that dealt with that kind of thing. And I mean, I remember thinking that people who had teachers who were parents were rich because their parents dressed up to go to school and they're not, you know, like when I look back on it, I'm like, Oh man, teachers don't make anything. But yeah, there's something about all that that is definitely, that I definitely carry forward. Well, and you've been quoted to say, I sing about real truthful, unpretty subjects, which is exactly what you're talking about here. And there's a writer that you remind me of when I listen to your music, he's my favorite writer. And I, sure you've probably read Raymond Carver, but a lot of your songs and and kind of your character sketches of these people in those songs are reminiscent of Raymond Carver's short stories because they're just so raw and unadorned. And at the same time, there's maybe a little bit of humor in there. There's a glimmer of humanity, a glimmer of humility. There's all of that going on at the same time. And the difference is Raymond Carver wrote it out in four and five page stories, and you write it out in, in three and a half minute songs. You know that. Thank you for that's such a compliment. And and I had a journalist, uh, Kelly McCartney, said that that my that my I was a Raymond Carver of songwriters. And so I read some of his stories, and I mean, I became an instant fan. And he even talks about Morton in some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he was from up around there. Yeah, he's a he was from the Northwest. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it is that I think it is that place. There's also a, a real heart to where I'm from, and people take care of people in their community. And when something happens, be it good or bad, people show up. I mean, I think it, I was lucky to be from there. I want to ask you because you are such an incredibly talented songwriter, and you have had some commercial success. But over the last year that I've been doing this podcast, different one every month with some very successful commercial songwriters, you haven't had necessarily the commercial success that some of these people have had. And do you think about that at all? Do you care about that at all? Have you ever been told, "Hey, you need to maybe dial back the CD underbelly of country folk angle and and go with something a little more mainstream?" Or I mean, just talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, does you that know, make, does that make sense? I don't know if that even makes sense. Oh, but. yeah. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't wish I had more commercial success. You know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to make a living. Um, and there's a great, the, the little bit of commercial success I've had has been great because, you know, it's it if it's commercially successful, a larger group of people hear it. And you want that as an artist and as a writer nobody's ever, I'm very fortunate, nobody's ever tried to change me. And the truth is I couldn't be changed. 
you know, I, I just feel like for what I do, there's a niche audience and I just try to make that niche audience bigger with every record. And as far as writing, like when I'm writing with or for other artists, I just try to write whatever's in the room that day and, you know, hope it resonates. I, I mean, I've tried to, you know, early on in my songwriting career, I tried to chase what was commercial. It never worked for me. It's always worked for me to just write what is what I what's in my heart to write. And I'm always hopeful that that will line up with a bigger commercial space. If it doesn't, I've never had anything out there that I haven't been proud of. And that's that's a lot to me. You know, I, I country music and roots music, you know, whatever you want to call it, country Americana roots. I don't know, you know, where what I do fits, but um, it, it's meant a lot in my life. Like when I was a kid, I got my music on country radio and it was people like Patty Loveless and George Strait and, and some of the artists that I really view as um, inspirations. And um, But to me, that matters. Like that music matters to me and I hope that I can make music that matters to other people and that maybe makes, I mean, I think the, the goal of, of art is for someone who sees it or hears it to feel a little less alone in whatever they're feeling. And so that's what I, that's what I try to do when I sit down to write a song. Now I'm not a real commercial songwriter. Um, it, and I think a lot, I think most songwriters that are really commercial, they're, I mean, for them to, to continue to have that commercial success, they really are tapping into something that's real to them. Um, because the things I've had that have been commercially successful, there's a there's there's a part of that that's very me, and so I think sometimes people who get commercially successful in all of this, there's a luck, you know, like mm-hmm. what they do lines up with what's commercially very palatable, and so good for them. I mean, I I I I wish at times that what I did was more commercially palatable, but I know I can't change it, and. If I tried to, I couldn't live with myself Um, because I just want to tell stories and the stories that resonate with me. And I'm always hopeful that they'll resonate with a whole lot of other people. But the songs that you have had that are commercially successful, uh, Follow Your Arrow, uh, one song of the year at the 2014 CMAs, that's got to be particularly gratifying because you did it your own way. To quote you, to paraphrase Frank Sinatra, you did it your way. Totally. And you know, the truth is that song wasn't commercially successful. It was the lowest charting song to ever win song of the year. I want to say it barely cracked the top 50. I might be wrong, but see, that just goes to show you, even though it wasn't commercially successful, it's made a huge footprint and probably a bigger impact than a lot of songs. Then I'll go on record and say than most songs that are big hits. If you save yourself from
song for Casey. I saw something yesterday. One of these websites where they where fans vote. It's still considered her biggest song because of. And when I play that song, I I play hit songs I've had, and you know people love them and sing along. But when I play that song, it's like I have played a classic. So, you know, I that song as far as commercial success I've had, it's probably made me the least amount of money, mm-hmm. but it has the biggest impact. And you and Casey are kindred spirits. You actually, you write together quite a bit? Yeah, we have. I mean, we haven't as much lately, I think, just because we're both really busy. Um, but yeah, I have always loved working with Casey. And you also write a lot with, and folks know him from uh, NBC's Songland now, but Shane McAnally, uh, you've written a lot with both Casey oh, yeah. and Shane. Do you still uh, have the chance to, to, to write with him quite a bit? I do. In fact, he and I, we wrote a musical. It was called Moonshine, that Hee Haw musical. And um, that has come back up very recently. And so we've we've I've just gotten done working with him um, for a couple days on that. And we um, we used to have a standing appointment and now neither of us are in town enough really to keep that. But um, so when we work together now, it's more for like a couple days at a time. Um, he we we did a retreat right before I went in to make my new record um, where we just wrote for I think a week out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, I always Shane is one of the best. You know he's he's in that TV show is perfect for him because it really shows the best qualities of him as a songwriter in that he brings out the best in you when you have a when you're lucky enough to get in a room with him. You know he's he's one of my favorites to work with. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the other tunes that you've written with Shane. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It, Better Dig 2, was that also with Shane McAnally? That was with Shane and Trevor Rosen, and then Mama's Broken Heart was with Shane and Casey Musgraves. I met Shane right before things started to pop for me, and he was a big reason why they started to pop. I mean, he was somebody at a time when I was really questioning if I was doing the right thing, if I was writing songs right. It was like, you're doing exactly what you should be doing, and your songs are great. Your songs are not the problem. and. So then I started to write with him a lot and I started to have a lot of success with him. Um, And, you know, he's just, I know you've had Josh on, Josh Osborne on as well. Mm -hmm. We all kind of met at the same time and and, uh, Shane was really the common denominator of a lot of people. Uh, He just really, he's so good at not only seeing talent in others, but in believing and, and never stopping his belief. It doesn't matter it wouldn't matter if I think if God came down from heaven and said, you know, Shane, Brandy Clark's just not very good. He would say you're wrong. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's a real talent. Like, I, I don't care what you say. And I wish I had that talent. I don't. I mean, I have a talent to believe in people, but I don't always see it. Or I mean, like, 
pretty much, you know, everybody, Shane sees things like he really, he's really good at seeing talent in others and, and also knowing what he can bring to it. I mean, the thing that Shane always brings to me, two things, a lot of songs I've written with Shane are like songs I would write by myself, but I don't get out because I second guess. And so when I'm with him, I can write an idea that I would typically write by myself. And and he's like, no, this is great. Like, why would you do it differently? Because we all get tired of our own instincts. Um, he brings that, and he just has a commercial knack. If I write a song with Shane, it's going to be more commercial than if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a pretty big deal. Who came up with the line, uh, the, the line specifically, I cut my hair with rusty kitchen scissors? That was Shane. I mean, I don't know if, if he had that exact line, but I remember him saying, I've been wanting to put something in a song about someone just cutting their hair. I cut my bangs with some rusty kitchen scissors. I screamed his name till the neighbors called the cops. I numbed the pain at the expense of my liver. Don't know what I did next. All I know, I couldn't stop. Word got around to the butterflies and the Baptist. My mama's phone started ringing off the hook. I can hear her and so that was a that was a visual that he had. Wait, you mean that whole song started with just him saying he wanted to write a song about somebody cutting their hair? No, that song started. He had wanted to write a song for a while called Ain't Your Mama Something. He didn't know what the something was. Okay. And I said to him, I totally get what that phrase means. I would love to write that with you if you would, you know, if you can just, like, let me think about it. And he's like, oh, I won't throw it out to anyone else. And then he and Casey and I were writing one Monday, you know, a long ways into to that idea, having been put out into the universe. And he was talking about his sister breaking up, her and her boyfriend breaking up, and how... She wasn't handling it the way her mom thought she should, you know, all that. And I said, maybe that could be that ain't your mom is something. And, you know, somebody said broken heart. I don't remember who it was, but I think the consensus was, oh, that's not weird enough. But we just went with it. And um, and then it became mom's broken heart. Is it and, and this might just be my perception, um, but it seems like women songwriters like yourself, like Lori McKenna, Liz Rose, Ashley McBride, Casey Musgraves, Maren Morris. Now, you, women seem more fearless. They seem more unafraid to put something out there that's that's unvarnished. That's kind of more real. And in my way of thinking, sort of more true to what country music's real roots are. Well. I mean, I think a couple reasons. One is, I think, as women, we can get away with a little more. I always use stripes as an example. Like, a man could never sing a song about wanting to shoot his wife, even if it was in jest. You were lying there with nothing on but a goofy little grin and a platinum blonde. I can't believe you do that on our bed. I got a pistol and I got a bullet and a pissed off finger just 
think you know i mean i can't really speak on it without you know the obvious is that country radio right now is not playing a lot of women um and so i think with with radio play comes an expectation of what you're going to bring and i think people artists sometimes get trapped in that like oh you know because you know being on the radio is great you know you get your people more people tend to come to your shows because they know your music all that stuff but I think you you can become a bit of a slave to it. And with women, with us, you know, none of us, none of the people you just mentioned are a slave to that master. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because they haven't tried to be. I mean, Casey, myself, Ashley, we've all we've all done country radio tours and country radio pushes and and all three had minimal play. Um and, and can I say maybe some it, of that it, there are some of us in the industry that frustrates the hell out of us. I, I thought that uh, Girl Next Door could have been, should have been a top 10 song. I think it barely broke the top 40. And it just it blew my mind it did, yeah. when it, it, it didn't happen. My house and my mouth and my mind get kind of trashy. I've never been to jail, but hell, I wouldn't put it past me. So songs like that girl going nowhere i couldn't believe that song went nowhere um because they're just they're brilliant i'm getting up on a soapbox now but they're everything that you could want mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a song especially a country song and then if that's not good enough what the hell <laughs> you right. know? it's so if it's I mean, frustrating for me i know that it's it's quadruply frustrating for you guys totally i mean those are great examples and you know what happens i mean i could go on forever but you know a lot of times it's a political reason you know with with um girl next door i heart cut their current playlist when I, when that song when it when it met its demise some of that was that because that song came out with a bang you know it had a lot of stations on it mm-hmm. it was the places that played it um overall it tested really well but um iheart cut their current playlist from like 27 currents to 20 well that's a lot cutting seven songs from your playlist and so girl next door got caught in the mud of that um but I think, and I don't think any of those people that we just mentioned have ever made music trying to get it on the radio. I think that's a huge pitfall because you're going to be behind the curve if you do that. You know, what you're writing today has a shot at radio 18 months from now. But um, I think that, you know, like there's a blessing in every curse. And so the fact that, okay, well, 
country radio doesn't embrace the most commercial thing I can do. Well, so forget it. I'm going to, I'm just going to write what's in my heart. Keep writing. I mean, I've, I've never done anything but that for myself as an artist, but I think with that, there comes this really beautiful art that has a box of colors that are painting it that are, that are not just the basic eight colors. You know, you got the 64 crayon coloring box going on with everybody you're talking about. Last question. We'll kind of wrap it up. And this is kind of just out of nowhere, but, and I'm not a musician. I love lyrics all day long. I love great writing. I don't know that much about the music part of it, but I was watching an interview with you and I think it was prior to or right after you did a, a, a tribute show for Chris Christofferson. And you talked about, because you are a great lyricist, but you also are great melodically too. And you you oh, talked thanks. you talked about chord changes um, that that Christofferson did that kind of influenced you, or like major, minor, and stuff. Can you kind of just like I don't know tease that out for me a little bit so I can understand a little bit more of what you're talking about? So next time I'm listening to anything, I can kind of appreciate it a little bit more. I love any song that uses a two, a two chord either either as a major or a minor, and Chris Christofferson definitely did that um i mean i love song like i've always loved songs that had intricate chord progressions willie nelson has written a lot of those like he's like crazy that's not a that's not a typical three chord song crazy crazy for feeling so lonely I'm crazy, crazy for feeling so blue. Like those kinds of songs, they're they're stunning. Um, and so I love a really country lyric on top of beautiful Dean Dillon. His his chord progressions are gorgeous. I wish I was more articulate about it. What's a song that that uh, that you've written that would maybe be a good example? Well, what'll keep me out of heaven? That plays on the minor two chord a lot. Which, by the way, is one of the um, best cheating songs of all time. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're just saying all the right things to me. <laughs> I know I shouldn't be here tonight. I hardly know this man. Been a long time since I felt as pretty as he tells me I am. I've met him at the coffee shop, and I've met him in the park, but I've never been alone with him in this dress. Are you working on a new album? I am. I just finished it. Um, actually, in, in I made the record in February, but I literally just listened to the Masters yesterday. Um, it's a very different 
to, it feels very different to me from the other two records I've done. It we I made it. I worked with Jay Joyce, who produced my last record, and we challenged ourselves to cut it all acoustic, um, which we stuck to that pretty pretty diligently. There there are some electric instruments in it, but we uh, ended up doing. We were going to just do a couple songs with the Memphis strings and horns. We ended up doing the whole record with them, so it has a very different feel. And I'm I'm hoping people will love it as much as I do. Do you have a name for it yet? It's called uh, Your Life is a Record. Any release date yet? Early 2020. All right. Well, listen, yeah. uh, you are the queen of the seedy underbelly of country folk, and I can't thank you enough for, for talking to us today. Um, oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And we, need to, we need some music to send you out on. So do you have a favorite line that you've come up with in a song? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Let me think. Um, you know, the line that I came, one of the lines that I came up with in Hold My Hand that really blew my co-writer's mind, Mark Stephen Jones, who, who really, the line, he's a genius lyric writer in particular, but when I said the line about, let her know for sure that I'm more than just a soft place to land, mm-hmm. he loved that. So I've always been pretty proud of that. All right, then. That's what we'll send you out on. Thank you so much. Okay. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Hey, thanks for again, Tom. Don't let this moment linger. Now would be the time to reach out with your fingers. Get them tangled up. Let her know for sure that I'm more than just a soft place to land. This would be a real good time to hold my That'll do it for this month's Write You a Song. If you like what you hear, take a minute and give it a review and let your fellow country music and songwriting nerd friends know about it. Write You a Song is presented in part by Bonneville Communications International and recorded at New Country 105.1 KNCI in Sacramento. I'm Tom Maley. I can't thank you enough for listening. And next month, a true country songwriting icon who's barely put his pen down since the 1980s. My baby is Bob DePiro, next time on Write You a Song. Ain't love a funny thing.